The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Professor John Crown, former senator of the 24th Shannon and medical oncologist, is being recognised this week by the Irish Association for Cancer Research for his outstanding contributions to cancer medicine. Professor Crown, who founded the Clinical Trials Unit at St. Vincent's Hospital in Dublin and holds professorships in DCU and UCD for clinical and translational cancer research, is going to uh, receive his award this week. And John Crown is with me now. Good morning and welcome. Thank you, Pat. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. Good morning to your listeners. Yeah, it, it reminds me of an old colleague of mine, long dead, who was given life membership by Irish Actors' Equity and he went down to get his award and he looked around the wall at all the other honourers. They were all dead. Absolutely. <laughs> Happily, you are still vigorous. It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering <laughs> thought. Um, now, I, I was in preparation for this. I was looking a little bit into your background and you were not a posh boy. Not really, no. My par- my my. Mother was from County Kildare. My father was from Leitrim. My father's family were small. My father's dad was a small farmer and small businessman in Leitrim. But he left uh, Leitrim in his mid-twenties. He was the second son. He was not going to be the one who inherited the business. Uh, He went to America and when he, I love the story, he went to 1947 from Leitrim where there wasn't a traffic light in the whole county, a county I love very well, by the way, and I believe there still is not a traffic light. But he went to America and what a shock it must have been to come up the subway you know, he didn't go to Ellis Island, but he arrived in a boat, got on the boat, arrived in Midtown Manhattan, go up and be in the middle of the skyscrapers, the heaving traffic, the traffic lights, clutching in his hand the name and address of the man from North Leitrim that everybody from North Leitrim went to when you first went to New York, a man called Mr. McGuinness. And he used to get you accommodation for a few nights, get you fixed up at a job. So my dad worked different jobs, including a truck driver, a greenkeeper in a golf club, and, and then became a taxi driver came back to Ireland for his first vacation after nearly, I guess, eight years in America, where he visited his sister, who was a nurse from the Coombe Hospital, living in an apartment in uh, on, on the Grand Canal in Dublin. And his sister's flatmate was my mother, who was a nurse with her. And that's how they met. That's how they met. That's how they met. So they went back to America. My dad was driving the taxi. I have, I still have memories of, of, as a little boy, talking about daddy's taxi, daddy's taxi. And he had a really severe accident. Uh, severe spinal injury, a little bit touch and go whether he would have a degree of paralysis afterwards. And he got a settlement from the accident and he used the settlement to buy a small business. He bought a shop and ultimately bought a little bit of real estate with it. A little modest level of prosperity achieved from that. But we came back to Ireland when I was 10 years old, uh, lived in Newbridge for a year, my mother's hometown, and then in Dublin, uh, Sing Street, Turn your college for fifth and sixth year, and then UCD. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, that uh, hint of an American accent is not just your subsequent uh, postgraduate education in America; it goes back to your childhood. Yes, uh, Americans think I have a funny accent. They can't quite place it. They <laughs> they think I'm Canadian or something. But uh, uh, English people always call me American. Mm. Uh, now, you have been uh, researching in cancer, working in cancer, pretty much all your adult life since you uh, qualified. What attracted you to that? Because cancer was that word that was not spoken aloud. So, you know, as a child, I did have some friends who had tragically lost parents from cancer. And it was, I I think, in 1960s America, amongst the the population at large, it was a big topic that had been all the news about smoking and cancer. And, you know, getting the cure for cancer was seen as a great big national goal, uh, like landing a man on the moon. It was just one of those things that was a phrase that would be used about someone, well, he won't discover the cure for cancer. It was... Mm. 
It was just something which was impressed on the, I guess, on the, 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 the psyche and the consciousness. I, my mother was a nurse and a very serious nurse. She had worked as a nurse in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 1990s. Uh, she was a very, very intelligent woman. Um, and she, I think, inspired love and, and an interest in healthcare in me. So I, from a very early age, you know, I was interested in doing medicine. Uh, I f would have flirted with a few things like being an admiral in the American Navy when I was a little boy and <laughs> things like that. But I, 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 I settled and stuck in medicine. And unusually for a young and unformed doctor who didn't have a whole big family tradition of medicine, I decided early on I wanted to be a cancer specialist. Uh, and really, I didn't deviate from that really from about, mm. I'd say, about the first year of medical uh, school. Uh, cancer was, uh, in those days, those early days, much of it was a no-hope landscape. Now, that landscape has changed absolutely dramatically. I am glad I've lived long enough to see the changes. I mean, I, I, you know, we still have colossal challenges and there were some... There are some really important, big, common cancers where progress has been slow. And even in cancers where there has been progress, the, the progress has not been cure. The progress has been longer survival. Uh, I, I mean, of the common cancers, I'd say the most spectacularly improved has been breast cancer. Uh, you know, combinations of drug treatment, good surgery, good radiation treatment has resulted in huge, really dramatic improvements. It's one cancer where if you look at population mortality curves, they started dropping quite a few years ago. Uh, and... Nixon, when he was president, signed the National Cancer Act in 1973, which formalized America's government's, you know, involvement in the war in cancer. Like get a man on the moon, exactly, sort of cancer. Exactly. And, and a huge increase in funding, you know, and really big investment in the National Cancer Institute. But they, they had at the time uh, a goal that breast cancer mortality would drop by the year 2000. It actually dropped much earlier than that. It's, it's been declining. Uh, and I, I believe it's virtually all due to better treatments. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the cancers that was very intractable was lung cancer. That's not always the case now. Well, I can tell you the story with lung cancer is really interesting. So first of all, the most important thing we could do with lung cancer is not smoke, obviously. Yeah. As fewer people smoke, the proportion of patients with lung cancer who are non-smokers obviously gets a bit bigger because lung cancer is going down in incidence. There's less lung cancer because the smoker's lung cancer is decreasing. Those patients who have lung cancer who have never smoked have a somewhat different disease and a good chunk of those patients have a real prospect for benefit from newer forms of tablet treatment which can produce great results both for early stage disease and for advanced secondary disease. But the really exciting thing, and there's a nice little Irish angle to the story, a, a wonderful young Irish oncologist called Patrick Ford in uh, Baltimore in the Johns Hopkins Medical Center has done much of this research. Um, in the last few years, it emerged that lung cancer was one of the cancers which was sensitive to the new immune system boosting drugs. And these drugs could have an important impact if you had far advanced end stage lung cancer. But what Patrick and others have discovered is that if you give those drugs before cancer surgery to somebody whose cancer might in fact be operable, the results look much better. And this has been a real, real shift in the way we look uh, at the treatment uh, of lung cancer. Now, you work with both UCD and with uh, DCU for DCU a long, long time. Yes. Uh, well, I've been uh, officially a UCD affiliate ever since I joined St. Vincent's in 1993. St. Vincent's is uh, affiliated to UCD. At that time, cancer research in UCD was not very well. There were some wonderful exceptions to that rule, but in general, it wasn't uh, very well developed. DC, on the other hand, had a wonderful scientist called Professor Martin Kleins, who was doing great research on why some cancer cells became resistant to cancer drugs. But DCU didn't have a medical school and it didn't have a regular outlet to clinical patient-orientated studies. So he and I forged a linkage which began in the 1990s and has continued since then. Uh, and that program in DCU has now grown rather large at this stage. 
uh, four of the young scientists who worked with me when they were at PhD student level are now assistant or associate professors there, and they're running independent independent programs. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, sorry, three of them are, and a fourth one on the way who will, I believe, be joining those ranks soon. I went in to see a, a pal of mine who was uh, in hospital last week, and uh, he was having some sort of procedure done well, uh, when I went to, to, to see him. So I had an hour to kill while he was coming, getting that done and coming back. So I went uh, to uh, the, the, the cafeteria, the canteen where the staff were and everybody else was. Um, and it was like the United Nations. Mm. Uh, fantastic. Uh, people of every size and colour there. And it struck me that if those people were not there, our health service would be on its knees. Oh, uh, our aspiration would be to get up to our knees. I mean, it would be, it'd be even worse. I mean... Uh, in terms of in terms of the trainee junior doctors in the hospitals, a very large proportion now are from from uh, from outside Ireland and out, indeed from outside the EU. And nursing were heavily dependent on on, on uh, uh, nursing graduates coming to us. And of course, the irony, of course, is they're sometimes coming from countries that were there was also a desperate shortage of nurses, and, yeah. and from doc- countries where there's a desperate shortage of doctors. But you're right, it's, it is very internationalized. And what's more, at consultant level, now quite a few consultants in Vincent's, uh, where I work in and other hospitals, are, are not Irish origin. They're, they're new Irish, or they, they may be immigrants mm-hmm. to Ireland. And it's wonderful, I must say. It's been good. I remember some years ago uh, meeting some nurses from, I think it was Kerala province in India, and uh, they were working in the, uh, the children's hospital in Crumlin. And there might be an assumption that because they came from India, which is still a developing country in spite of all its wealth, that their training might be, you know, not. They told me about the hospital they trained in in Dubai, which was light years ahead of anything we had in this country. Their training was absolutely incredible. Their skill set, incredible. I, I, I must say, it's, I'm continually impressed. I must say, I think we have a very high standard of, of nurses and doctors coming to us from other countries, extremely high. I think it's been good for us. It's been good for them. What are the challenges as you see them? Uh, can I recall something, by the way? I, I was down at Vincent's Private one day, just when it was about to open, I think, and I went down to have a look, and I met you coming out, and you looked back up at Vincent's Private and you said, this is the way our public hospitals should be. So you're, you're a Democrat in terms of medical treatment. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be a blue stater on that one for sure. That's right. I, I think that if you look at an, a nice modern facility like St. Vincent's Private Hospital, it is a very pleasant working environment. It's very pleasant for patients. Patients have their own rooms. The atria, the lobbies, they're not crowded. They're not packed. You're not, you know, doing hurdle races over equipment in the corridors to get from one ward to another. But, you know, I, I think that's normal. This is not sort of ultra luxurious. This is the way a normal hospital should be. And that's what we should aspire to. Uh, in our public hospitals. Of course, as you know, and we could spend all day talking about this, I believe we should have a single-tier health system based on a model of social insurance. Uh, that, that which we call private insurance in Ireland and VHI is not really private insurance. It's a government-run organization, a not-for-profit organization that has rules for the benefit of its members. And it's remarkably similar to the way they fund hospital care in socialized medical systems like Canada. So I, I think it is doable. But what are the challenges? Well, you know, we're victims of our own success. I mean, when we didn't, I was having this conversation with somebody recently. I mean, I see a new patient with lung cancer now, and I compare the trajectory of my relationship with them compared to 15 years ago. 15 years ago, if I saw somebody with advanced lung cancer, typically we'd have a slightly sad conversation. We'd give them three to six or eight months of some kind of treatment and then followed by a very sad conversation. Nowadays, these patients are living quite a few years, and they're on treatment continuously during that time, and the treatments are demanding. 
They require monitoring of side effects, and they require special tests to determine which treatment should be given. And very often our system is not set up to get those tests delivered in a timely fashion. Um, the old days of a pathologist just looking down the microscope and saying, that's breast cancer, and then calling the oncologist and saying, this is, you know, we give chemotherapy for breast cancer. Now we realize that each of these are a number of different disease types which require different treatments with different tests to identify them. And we need to test which are no longer exotic. They should be a mm. routine part of, of care. Mm. We need to have... How difficult is, is it to keep uh, cancer staff, be it, a, say, an oncology nurse or uh, some of your younger colleagues who might see the bright lights of the United States beckoning? Well, it's obviously very difficult because we're hemorrhaging staff and there are tremendous staffing crises in all of the units. And the bottleneck for me treating patients is not the bottleneck to see me. The bottleneck is to get patients on a list for treatment. Even in the private system, as I've retired from the public, but in the private system, um, you know, it still is a waiting list of sometimes four to five weeks to get people on treatment. And the, the bottlenecks are twofold. There's a desperate shortage of oncology pharmacists who compound and mix the drugs, a very demanding, very skilled and, you know, very important job. And none of oncology nurses who actually administer the drugs to the patients. So, and both Would paying the, those professionals more keep them? Well, I, I'm a low believer in the market. I think if there's obviously a... There's obviously a, a, a wage which, if they were given, would make it more attractive to stay in the work and not to go to some other line of work. Uh, some of the listeners, 23 years ago, my mother got breast cancer and it's because of John Crown that she's still here. So can you say thank you to John from me and thank my you. family? Uh, can you ask Professor John Crown about non-small cell lung cancer, please? My husband died from the disease in 2019. He was a non-smoker. Very sorry to hear about the sad loss of your husband. Um, as Lung cancer is overwhelmingly caused by smoking, but not always. And, and rates of smoking in Western countries have declined steadily since the 1960s and 1970s. So we're now seeing the real benefit of that. The incidence of smoking-related lung cancer is going down. But of course, there were always some people who had lung cancer that was unrelated to smoking, and those cancers are still there. And as a total percentage of the number of patients who have lung cancer, they're slightly more common now because of the decrease in the number of smokers. The non-smokers are the ones whose disease behaves a bit differently. And for those patients, there often is a period of benefit from some of the newer forms of tablet treatments. Uh, typically, they don't cure the patient, but they would give them extra years mm -hmm. of life. And at the end of that, they can then fall back on chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And of course, the very exciting immunotherapy. Uh, you're showing no signs of stopping or slowing down, I hope. No. Okay, well, uh, last question then. Um, please ask the professor about his thoughts on vaping or hash smoking and cancer. Um, I think vaping, the only benefit for vaping is for existing cigarette addicts who want to get off cigarettes to something less harmful. Vaping is better. It's vastly better for your health to vape than it is to smoke burnt tobacco. It is very dangerous, however, to have unregulated vaping in society because kids are taking it up and it's developing a whole new generation of nicotine addicts who I think have a high risk of falling into the mm. clutches of actual and hash? tobacco. Uh, I, I, don't believe there are, I don't believe there are well-proven medical benefits for marijuana that are not available with other legal drugs. And I think there are health consequences of marijuana, psychiatric and otherwise, that require people being very careful about it. Um, does it cause cancer? It's probably less likely to cause, it's less likely to cause cancer smoking marijuana than smoking cigarettes. But typically people don't smoke 20 or 30 marijuana cigarettes a day. That's the reason. But there are carcinogens in marijuana. John Crown, congratulations Thank on uh, the honour being uh, bestowed on you and long may you continue in your valuable work. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.